Welcome to the Shadow Things Podcast. So the Mothman. So the Mothman. The Mothman is the man of the hour. We're going to talk about the strange so-called cryptid mm. of 1966-67 Point Pleasant and most recently Chicago. Yeah. So this this mothy man <laughs> has been seen practically all over the world, but um, you know, just about anybody who's followed the paranormal um has heard of the Mothman, and um, you know he's kind of a legend. You kind of know the happenings. You get on Google. You could Google anybody can Google it. Yeah, and uh, see kind of the history or whatever. But I didn't know till recently that this was like a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah, I thought it was kind of isolated to just our area, the Chicago area. Yeah. So we're gonna dig it into that. I mean deeply and talk about even where it's been seen and the time frames and kind of the events surrounding um those sightings so we, we want to talk about um the mothman as a core for this show and we're going to get into that here in a minute and then we have a pretty major announcement word coming at the end of the show so towards the end of the show we're gonna we're gonna sort of uh, blast off a project that we're working on and we want to officially introduce it to the the whole world so please stay tuned because it's yes not important if you don't want to hear our shit leading up into that skip i I don't even care skip skip. it you can skip it i don't want you to because we're going to get all mothy (laughs) yeah but um you know please do listen to the end of this podcast for our our announcement we kind of got two of them two announcements one's a little more important and the other one is just plain old going to be awesome so stay tuned for that but first let's kick it off with a little bit of strange news um, that's been going on uh, here recently check this out first ever scan of a dying human brain reveals that life actually may flash before your eyes what so when i read this story i was like okay so they're going to automatically explain away the fact that you move on to another realm when you die and that brain activity is responsible for all of the the near-death experiences that people have. So I was immediately like, oh, God, when we die, it's just it. We're not going. I know. I try not to read shit like that because I get depressed. Like. Yeah. So I read this, and it and it and while it alludes to to just what it says, that, you know, scientists kind of was able to evidence that life flashes before your eyes, doesn't mean that we don't go on and become a ghost or go to heaven or whatever yeah. everybody will believe. So I'm good with it. Yeah, I'll take it. So, um, yeah, so after an elderly patient died suddenly during a routine test, that always sucks, scientists accidentally captured unique data 
on the activity in his brain at the very end of his life. During 30 seconds before and after the man's heart stopped, his brain waves were remarkably similar to those seen during dreaming, memory recall, and meditation, suggesting that people may actually see their life flash before their eyes when they die. The phenomenon of replaying past memories when you die has been reported by some people who have had near-death experiences. But this is the first scientific evidence that this flash might be real. However, as this is the only a case study, it is impossible to make further assumptions about how common the phenomenon may be or what the experience may actually be like. Yeah. So here's what happened. Researchers made the discovery in 2016. So this is, this is just now being reported, but it happened back in 2016. Uh, they made a discovery in 2016 while studying the brain activity of an 87-year-old Canadian man who died, um, who, who developed uh, epilepsy. The team was performing an EK, EEG, so an electroencephalography, yeah, snuffleupagus, snuffleupagram, so an EEG, uh, definitely not medical experts here. Uh, it's a test that detects abnor- abnormalities in the electrical activity of the brain. To learn more about what was happening during his seizures, uh, the man was the man had suffered a sudden and fatal heart fatal heart attack during this procedure. So they had the EEG running just for a routine um, scan to see what was causing his seizures, and he dies during the middle of it. So Awful. this brainwave activity was being recorded. Um, so they captured what his brain was doing at the time of death, which you think would be kind of common, right? Like, honestly, yeah. Like, how did they not? You know what I mean? Yeah. What well, says here? It says the patient's unexpected death meant that the team had accidentally made the first ever recording of a dying brain. The researchers said in a statement. So I guess it's the first time anybody's measured a brain when it when when they die, but. That's bizarre to me. So I guess, um, you know, the activities that were, um, well, the, the findings from the EEG suggested a high level of dreaming, and um, they also said memory call and meditation. It, you know, it happened when this guy passed away unexpectedly during a, a routine scan. So they attribute that to being the, the flash of life, the memory call is important because people do i've heard people tell me that that's had near-death experiences personally where they've actually seen like all moments of their lives uh balled into one you know before they had the uh nde which is near-death experiences so very strange they, they may be onto something there but doesn't explain what happens after that point i don't even know if i want to know to be honest but right. whatever i want to be able to still get a white castle and Get a slider in the afterlife. I want to be skinny and have good teeth, and I'm going to stick with that okay. story. So we're, so we're on total opposites. I, I want to eat, and you want to be I want skinny. to eat and be skinny. All right. Well, Moving on. I guess you can have the best of all worlds when, when that time happens. <laughs> so check this out. MGK, baby, baby. Oh, hell. So Machine Gun Kelly says he and his wife, which they're not even married, Megan Fox, I know who Megan Fox is. Of course. Moved out because their house was haunted. They moved out. 
yes, they hit the bricks because the house was haunted. So Machine Gun Kelly joined Ellen DeGeneres on this week's show of The Ellen Show and shared some fun insight into his rock star life. This wasn't here. Isn't he a rapper? Is he? He's both. Did you see his new album cover? Mainstream sellout. He's got green tomatoes falling all over. And I haven't like, seen the album cover, but I just know it's mainstream sellout. I am told by reliable sources that it's the uh, most horrific, uh, awful album cover in the history of mankind. In a way that it's stupid. I haven't seen it. I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah, he kind of looks like... Uh, He's got his punk rocker deal going and looks like he's My Chemical Romance on LSD. Everybody is green, coming for him so green hard Green tomatoes. And, okay. So he or moved pink. out. Yeah, so back to the... Forget about the album cover. Back to the real shit. So MGK and Megan Fox moved out of the house. Um, the singer, real name Colson Baker, yeah, was all smiles when he talked about Megan Fox, of course. Of course. Did I say of course? who he referred to as his wife, their new cat, and the spooky reason they moved out of their last home. So he's telling Ellen DeGeneres all this stuff on the latest show. The first time MGK talked about the house was actually last year on the May show, on a May show of Ellen DeGeneres. So that that actually happened a little bit ago, but this is now making news. At the time he revealed Fox called him frightened after she saw doors opening and closing by themselves. When he showed up with a weapon, she looked. She locked herself in the bedroom. But MGK didn't seem as scared as Fox because he went on to describe the ghost as high ghosts. Like, hey, want to get high? Who were just interested in making ghost snacks and washing ghost dishes. Shut up. He's wild. Yeah. Wild boy. Wild boy. However, it seems like things changed once MGK saw it with his own eyes. He told Ellen they moved immediately after... They saw their bedroom door kick open while they were laying in bed. And it wasn't just MGK and Fox having paranormal experiences in the house. He said their personal masseuse later revealed that she would always see a dark, shadowy figure at the edge of his table every time she would massage him inside the house. It sounded like a Jeffrey Epstein moment with all the massaging and rich people houses. But I, I don't know. But apparently the masseuse saw a shadow figure. MGK and Megan Fox saw doors moving and kicking open. I don't know about the ghost snacks and the washing dishes, but it was enough to make them move out of the house. I also read that, and I don't have the the tidbits, but Courtney Cox sold her house because it was haunted as well. People, stop selling your shit. Or or sell it to us. Sell it to us. Highly discounted price of free. Free ninety nine. Yeah, like the Amityville house was sold to the Lutzes for eighty grand, and it's worth like a gazillion dollars now. Eighty grand. Eighty grand. I can't even. There's not a house out there right now. Yeah. For eighty grand. I mean, the Shadow Thing Studios eighty grand. You know what I mean? Like, okay, it's. I'm not. doing the eyebrow thing. Where you like? Yep. Anywho. Anywho. So speaking of houses. Speaking of houses, so. We all know about the Conjuring House. Mm-hmm. Um, the owners uh, bought it in 2019 from the previous owner and have spent the you know, past couple years not only investigating it themselves, but actually hosting overnight events where other people could come in and have the same, same experience um, for a price. So uh, turned it in, into kind of a business. 
um, it went up for sale in September of 2021. And as of today, I did check and there is a sale pending. So there's a contract pending. No one knows who the buyer is. And I spent a greater part of two hours today combing through property records and sales tax um, transactions in Burville and the state of Rhode Island. <clears throat> and I can find nothing. So mm -hmm. I don't, I cannot uncover, uncover who, um, who actually brought the property. I do have a few theories and a famous YouTuber does come to mind, which you probably don't know. Um, and I probably shouldn't say just in case there's some, yeah, leave it. Yeah. So I know that Zach Bagans didn't buy it. I, 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 I kind of like went on, everybody would know that by now if he did. Yeah. I went on Twitter and I looked up a lot of, a lot of this information too. And, uh, he was kind of the prime suspect for a while, you know, yeah, he buys all kinds of haunted shit. Oh, so. Yeah. so he didn't buy it. I'm, I'm pretty sure that it was, it was, uh, placed on auction. Well, placed for sale by Sotheby's. Um, and it sold, uh, the asking price was 1.2 million, but I don't know whether they got that amount or not. I know the property was not valued quite that high in between the high 800,000s to just around $1 million was kind of the, the property assessed value, the, the, the house and the land. So they're asking a little bit more money for, for the property and the house, uh, than what it's worth, but they're probably factoring in, uh, that the new owners, uh, are going to have a business there as well and continue on the spirit of spirits and have overnight investigations. In fact, I think that was kind of the uh, one of the stipulations that uh, I think it's Corey and Jennifer, the, the, the current owners of the Conjuring House, mm -hmm. um, I think that's one of their stipulations is that the, the person that, or the group of the person that buys this home has to carry on the, you know, be able to host the, uh, all of the investigations that are currently mm -hmm. on the books and possibly even carry it on, you know, in perpetuity. So. I can't quote those details, but I did see that somewhere. So hopefully whoever bought it, um, that becomes public here shortly, and we'll figure out whether or not people will be able to enjoy their experiences in the Conjuring House in the future. But who knows? It could be some cratchety old man that just wants to live there. That would piss me off, to be completely honest. Because I want to go. I did look, uh, I look I did look earlier today to see if we could just book, and it's booked the entire year into, like, Christmas, like December twenty seventh or six or something like that the last booking is and i uh, looked at january and there's no bookings available so hopefully it becomes available again we can we can go but it's 150 bucks a person i'd pay it worth it six person minimum 750 bucks so we can gather gather a few of our g's you know what i mean 100 percent. show up with our candy paint rims and our gold Shut grills up. be like what's going on so I definitely want to try the Conjuring House. But yeah, as of today, there is a sale pending. Somebody bought it. It's not Zach Bacon's. I don't think. It was me. I don't. I'm sorry. I don't have one point whatever million dollars. I got 1.2 billion cents. <laughs> How much is that? I have no fucking idea. I probably don't have I that either. I can't do math. Like, yeah. whatever. Well, anyhow. So the Conjuring House is going to be in the news here shortly. We find out who bought it. Um, 
And the last bit of uh, paranormal news, scientists make yeast-free pizza dough that rises like the real thing. And that's not paranormal, but this is a good thing because I'm a diabetic, but I love pizza. So I'm not um, I'm not thrilled about not having the ability to eat pizza as much as I want. And if they make a yeast-free pizza dough that rises like the real thing, because I don't like them wimpy thin crust pizzas like Mandy. Um, I like fat, thick. Forget about it. You know, yeah. New York. Well, that's Detroit. I don't know how they say things in Detroit. Whatever the hell they say. Yeah, eight mile or whatever. Oh shit. Uh, I want a fat pizza. So if Weird. scientists really did create it, I'm I am down. So I, and there's some there's some tidbits about uh, the research and all that. But and I won't read it so we can get on with the show. But apparently they've only made uh, half inch slices of pizza. So like a uh, nickel. Not even a nickel. Like what? The pepperoni is bigger than a nickel. I need to get these people on the phone. <laughs> yeah, like uh, if you're gonna make a pizza invention, make me an extra large, please. You know what I mean? Run, I... <laughs> run through the uh, oven twice and put some extra shit on there, and and then we're talking. But I am hopeful that there will be a yeast-free pizza here very shortly. Because I don't know about my wife, Mandy, but I'm beating that shit every day. She's like me. Like, I do like a fat pizza. This is so off kilter, but I do like a fat pizza, but I'm also a Jack's Pizza fan. And that's like a giant cracker with toppings. Right. But it's fucking awesome. So. Yeah. Yeah. They're, and they're like two bucks. Two fifty. They're like three something. Oh, inflation. Yeah. I forgot about all that. Yep. But anyway, that's some of the stuff in the news. And next uh, episode, you can introduce some stuff to, to wow me on. So we'll talk about that. But let's get into this mothy, mothy manny yeah. type thing. So Mothman became relevant in pop culture and American society, well, world society, um, shortly after the 1966 and 1967 events in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, where over a hundred people claimed to have had a an experience or a visual sighting of a dark winged creature with glowing red eyes the size of saucers. Um, that in alone in itself is enough to scare me. Like a hundred people, and we're talking about credible witnesses from police people, teachers, um, police people, law enforcement officials, <laughs> those <laughs> police, police people. peeps. Um, a lot of you know a lot of people in that Point Pleasant, Ohio Southern Valley region uh, had experiences uh, where they claimed to have seen this bat-like creature um, in different areas in the woods, um, flying along uh, you know beside their cars or over top of their cars at high speeds. Um, you can research all of the Mothman happenings mm-hmm. regarding the creature. Um, itself um just by googling it i mean it's a it's a pretty prominent topic in 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 the high strangeness circles and um we don't want to take a lot of the show up by explaining you know what all happened with the mothman and yeah and all that stuff but um so the meat and potatoes of that of the um you know the mothman uh enigma really was was born in point pleasant west virginia although their historical um historical notes um that say that this thing has appeared in in 
various moments in time well before Point Pleasant. And then there are reports of sightings throughout history uh, leading up into that point and after that point. So, you know, Chernobyl, Mm -hmm. so the, the nuclear facility that's currently in the news with Ukraine and Russia taking over that portion of uh, northern Ukraine. Chernobyl is a uh, nuclear power plant up there that had a meltdown in the 80s. And not only was the Mothman reported as a sighting before the meltdown, um, there was an archaeologist who um, was assigned to do some kind of work there after the meltdown. And he claimed to have had his own experience as well involving the same typical dark uh, winged creature that fits the mothman description after chernobyl so um yeah appearing again like the silver bridge collapse after or before the disaster happened so people say that mothman was responsible for the collapse of the silver bridge or that mothman was responsible for the meltdown of chernobyl i don't particularly buy into that i don't think theory. I the th- I always thought the theory was it was like the angel of death or some shit. You know what I mean? Not yeah. not so much responsible for the well, disasters. But. Yeah, the the name. Well, the the two words that John Keel, author of Mothman Prophecies book, uh, used was omens and portents. So mm-hmm. basically, uh, prophesizing or foretelling of of, a, of an event. So. There's the theory that he was just there to warn individuals, perhaps in Chernobyl, Silver Bridge in Point Pleasant, 1966-67. Who knows? And then also there's been recent sightings in Chicago, Illinois. Up to 50 people have seen Mothman in Chicago in 2017. Mm. I think that's pretty much died out. A lot of the Chicago sightings were um, really picked apart well by some more skeptical-minded investigators who was able to determine that either some of this stuff was fabricated in their reports or um, it was a case of mistaken identity. Um, 9-11. 9-11 is, and there's a famous photo of this flying thing uh, kind of going beside one of the Twin Towers uh, above one of the main avenues in mm-hmm. New York City. Um, it looks pretty mothy to me. But that was cited days before, and just a couple days before the 9-11 attacks. Um, So this creature, this cryptid or entity is cited uh, in and around certain parts of the world, um, kind of seemingly centered around events that happened in that region. So very cool. And you've been to Point Pleasant, West Virginia. I have. We've both been there. We've been there together um, as a group and you know, just on some outings. But um, let me ask you this, and, th- and this is uh, something that was discussed recently, um, and we'll get into that here in just a second, but what was your feel the first time you stepped foot in Point Pleasant, West Virginia? Did you feel a certain way when you were there? I felt I have no idea even how to like begin explaining like it was it kind of felt i don't know i felt a way i felt a certain way um i didn't feel like super weird about where i was like it's not gonna make a whole lot of sense but i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a shot so i was pretty much just 
mostly intrigued about, you know, because I had never been there. My very first time being there, I just kind of was so fascinated. And the TNT area right. was kind of where the vibes were for me. Just fucking weird. Like, just... I was waiting for the truck to come out of the woods and chase <laughs> us out. That's that's the kind of just weird shit. Not even so much Moth Manny, but like yeah, just like there were secrets. Yeah, among us. Yeah, it's weird. Sense. I so I just did a um, I just participated in a documentary. Um, actually, we filmed our segment this past weekend. Um, with full res films um, for a documentary called Exposing the Strange Ohio Cryptids. And it's going to be coming out. I believe uh, the producer told me the goal was the end of this year, but possibly next year. Uh, he keeps running into a lot of interesting people and uh, the, his story and the premises of his um, his film project keeps changing and evolving. So maybe out sometime next year. But I did my segment with him talking about um, my mother's experience um, with the whole Mothman phenomenon, and you, and it's weird because the f- the first question, maybe the second or third question, the f- you know during the first line of questioning, one of the things that he asked me was, is uh, what kind of feelings did you have when you first went to Point Pleasant, West Virginia? Like, what did you feel when you were there? What'd you say? Well, I told him, you know, <clears throat> the f- the f- the first thing that we did. And it was me and Minga. Mm-hmm. We went into a pharmacy. Um, it, it was right off the rip. You know, we stopped. I think we were there to to get some drinks or something or use the, use the restroom. But first thing I did was go in and ask someone about what they knew about the Mothman. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of gung-ho and everything. And we'll get into what she said at some other point. However, it was very ominous. Like her answer was bone-chilling. And we'll describe this a little bit later. Um, But from that moment on, we both got the feeling that the folks in Point Pleasant were not very nice. Now, I will say that the people of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, based on all of my visits there since then, have been very nice. It's been a very pleasant uh, series of trips for myself there. And uh, but you know back in those days, while we had a purpose for being there and investigating, um, investigating some of the after effects of point or of Mothman experiencers down there, um, during those times it was it, the feel was totally different. Like there was a vibe in the city, even when you crossed over from the Ohio side into Point Pleasant from. Uh, Pomeroy, Ohio, which is right on the other side. The moment you hit the other side of the bridge and you start going up the highway towards Point Pleasant, you just get this feeling like, man, what happened to this place? Like, it feels kind of like that hellier feel, like it's forgotten. Like, it's just, it's been, it's a hole in the earth. It's like it itself is a secret. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. And, you know, a lot of, and besides the Mothman and all the other men in black and ufos and all this stuff that happened there in 66 67 besides that it was the site of a um a, a united states army 
um, munitions depot, which is the, 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 the you know the TNT. It's dubbed the TNT nowadays uh, in the McClintic Wildlife Preserve area. Um, and I am told, and I've, I've researched a lot of uh, things about the area and the and the government's participation in munitions there. And a lot of spooky shit happened that's really not mainstream. Like a lot of people just say, "Oh, they housed TNT there for the war, and then it was gone." No, some extra stuff happened there. Mm. Um, I was able to uncover some information that I will get into more deeply in in um, an upcoming project that we're going to announce at the end of this episode. So stay tuned, and also in the book I'm writing based on these experiences. But I was able to uncover a lot of things involving the um, people of Point Pleasant during 66 and 67, as well as the government's involvement at TNT with the whole munitions depot and storage. So a lot of uh, really deep stuff. And I will tell you now that I do believe that Point Pleasant, West Virginia, back in the mid-60s, was subject to a lot of experiments by the U.S. government. Mm. Not conspiracy-type stuff, too. I'm talking about stuff that that I've been able to uncover through documents that you and I can find both on the Internet and, and you as a listener can find as well that really tie into some spooky shit that happened before the Mothman even came down on Linda and Roger Scarberry's car you know, in the TNT power plant area. Mm. So the whole area is, uh, you know, uh, a wonder pot of uh, mystery and, and lore. And there is that feeling down there. Even today when I go down there, I feel like, man, this is where it happened. It's been a hot minute, but yeah, I remember how I felt. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Point Pleasant being a very, very key focal point in the Mothman um legend um we've both been there but some of the some of the things that people really don't talk about is yes we have the people that saw mothman and the ufo stuff and and all that you know the silver bridge and all that that happened and people seen the movie but people don't talk about what happened to the people after the mothman experiences so somebody sees the mothman and what do they do? Just going about their lives the next day? A lot of them did not. A large portion did not. A large portion did not. And during my times in Point Pleasant, um, back in 2001 um, and early 2002, we were able to uncover a total of eight individuals that had Mothman experiences themselves. And a lot of the after effects of experiencing Mothman were not pleasant at all not pleasant at all so i'm talking about um everything from the immediate um onset of conjunctivitis after witnessing visually a mothman like creature so conjunctivitis is a basically an eye infection or irritant where your eyes turn red and they pink eye. yeah it's pink eye um and gum up with uh, pus and all that and a lot of people had a a high frequency of conjunctivitis onset after experiencing Mothman. Also, what ties into that is the UFO experiencers. And I'm not talking about just Point Pleasant or Mothman-related UFO experiences. I'm talking about conjunctivitis cases that 
are relevant to some of the UFO sightings or um, um, got the, the poster behind me, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which is contact um, experiences with aliens or, or UFOs. They have an onset of sudden conjunctivitis. So that happened to Mothman experiencers. So it makes me wonder what the connection is between you know, the conjunctivitis uh, diagnosis and these experiences. Mm. Kind of crazy, isn't it? Very crazy. Uh, another thing is the, the prevalence of increased intelligence after the sighting. Um, basically having a uh, enhanced aptitude to solve mathematical equations um, where they could not solve these type of um, problems beforehand, had no interest in mathematics or science. And developed an extreme not only interest but ability to um, to solve mathematical and scientific problems and delve into those topics where as they were just normal people before. So um, yeah, uh, UFO experiences after the Mothman, and that's something that the Keel book, uh, Mothman Prophecies, touched on a lot. So it's part of the mainstream lore. Um, based around Point Pleasant, where a lot of people had UFO actual experiences. Um, there were a couple of UFO sightings that are prominent that occurred in Point Pleasant uh, right during the Mothman, um, you know, the era of when he was seen down there, he or she or it. Not quite sure. But um, Men in Black. Mm. So, and, and, and the whole Men in Black thing, I'm not talking about Will Smith and... Tommy Lee Jones. I'm talking about people or beings that show up on your doorstep after you've experienced a UFO sighting or an alien encounter. Yeah. Or something to that effect where the visit doesn't make sense. They ask a lot of unusual questions and their Mm -hmm. appearance um, is outwardly uh, just very strange and unusual. So, Um, a lot of people also have a high prevalence of, um, let's borrow the world f- word from Hellier, but synchronicities. So they get this synchronicity storm of dates and times, locations and coordinates. And all of this stuff is has been known to um, be prevalent with people that's had a mothman experience or a sighting as an origin or a starting point so they see the mothman and they have a grouping of all this shit that happens mm-hmm. and um you know it's it's just mind-boggling here's one case where a 51 year old woman is lying in her bed and um she you know she goes into the bedroom and she feels nothing you know she's she lives alone. She goes to bed and uh, turns off the lights and tries to go to sleep. But sometime during you know the, the next few moments after she closes her eyes, she feels compelled to roll over from her side to her back and look up. She looks up and she sees the distinct outline of a winged and very blacker than black colored creature floating somewhere between her and the ceiling and she could feel it 
staring at her, staring a hole into her, although she did not see red saucer-shaped eyes. She knew it was looking at her, and she did not breathe for fear it would know that she's alive, and that's what she told me. And I'm talking about my mother, Susan Mingo Wilcox. My grandmother. Vanessa's grandmother. It happened on February 8th, 2001, in Columbus, Ohio. A An event that's forever immortalized in the Mothman death curse list um, penned by cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman. Um, the experiences that my mother had, we will just refer to her as Susan, uh, that Susan had um, on that night and thereafter was a, a mishmash of the things that I just talked about. Um, from the strange phone calls to two documented Mothman encounters um, to the increased aptitude for mathematics and science, where there was really no interest in that beforehand, to strange knocks at the door, to increased haunting phenomenon within the residence, to a little bit of everything that you would find in the Mothman circles of experiencers. Symptoms. Yeah, symptoms. So um, the event was very real. And the aftermath was very real as well. And um, I got to experience some of that before she passed away. So that was February 8th of 2001. And Susan passed away on December 8th of 2002 in Columbus, Ohio. She was diagnosed with a rare brain tumor called a pendymoma, and um, she was diagnosed with that in uh, October that same year. So only two months had had uh, transpired, you know, between her diagnosis and death. Mm-hmm. So twenty, she lived twenty-two months from her Mothman experience to her death. So not a lot of time, but in that time she did make an effort to visit Point Pleasant, West Virginia many times with myself. And a lot of stuff happened in that 22 months that um, changed my life even to this day that we're sitting here in the studio. Um, Some of the stuff you don't know about, well, some of the stuff you know about because you've been involved in the the project that we're going to speak about. very heavily a couple of years ago you you know what i'm saying but you weren't there um and you were just a baby but um some of the stuff was very real for me because i i got to experience some of it including a sighting that i can't explain that really actually did happen and everything i'm telling you is is documented you can find it a couple places on the internet if you google susan mingo wilcox um You'll see her listed and myself on the Mothman death list um, in several places. But I do want to say that the um, the experience that we had back in the early 2000s with that snowballed into a case that um, that we got involved with a mm-hmm. couple of years ago, uh, pretty local to us, involving a young lady that had very similar experiences um, relating to my mother's experience and 
the stuff that happened in Point Pleasant in 66, 67. And I met this young lady um, through a chance encounter of being in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to go too deep into how that that meeting occurred, actually, because it's going to tie into our project. But Totally bizarre. <clears throat> it's um, It's just a whole mixture of high strangeness that I just... Uh, for all these years and leading up to this encounter um, the, in this new case, I just can't ignore it. Like, all the things are pointing in some direction. And I think I know what the direction is, but but who knows? Right. Um, yeah, so you and I spent um, the greater part of a year uh, with this young lady and getting into the bottom of her her experiences. And they closely relate to what happened to... Susan back in uh, 2001 and 2002 and um, it's going to be a great story so we will we will share a little bit more about that but the whole reason I'm talking about that you know it does relate into the project that we're going to announce um, here very shortly but um, the whole premise behind it is something that we are calling the Minga effect so my mother's name was Susan J. Minga Wilcox. And while Minga wasn't her real name, it was adopted to her by yourself. Myself. Because that's what grandkids do. They come up with these funny names to call their grandparents. And you called my mom Minga. Yep. So she is immortalized as Minga. She's forever Minga. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Minga was my mom, but... You know, I'm dubbing the experiences around her, um, her death, and the research thereafter as the Minga effect. So, um, you know, I think we should just talk about the project. I feel like we already have. So let's go. So we're, let's we're, get into we're it. kind of getting into it. But so listen, I, I've been trying to write a book, right? And I've I explained this to the producer on the documentary for Exposing the Strange as well. Um, I I just you know I have about six chapters done and I want to be it's going to be a lot a lot more lengthy than that because right. there's a lot of content to unpack. But um, I've been trying to write this book for for years and I just can't get around to it because I can recall at least two times, possibly three, where my data, the all the writings that I have penned on my computer has been erased. And I can't explain it. So I've had to redo all the chapters that I've written. So I'm back to doing the book again. And I've done six chapters. And it's really just getting to the to the forefront of what happened to my mother uh, based on her sort of Mothman-like experience. Mm-hmm. So I'm working on the book. And um, strangely enough, I do want to mention that a lot of people that investigate the Mothman... Let's discount the death curse list, right? Right. Okay. So there's that whole thing. But a lot of people that try to research, write, or document stuff regarding the Mothman do have these strange um, happenings that go on with their authorings, like data erasure, problems with equipment. On this particular filming for um, Exposing the Strange documentary with uh, Full Res Films, the producer had a few things going on batteries draining and you know some some odd things and we, we sort of had this and it just comes with the punches of filming outdoors but we did the scene outdoors where um we kept having 
uh, interruptions by people and planes flying overhead and the sun was going in and out and the exposure was horrible and but he figured it out because he's a good filmmaker and um you know the guy really knew what he was doing but we were kind of plagued with a little bit of distraction there but batteries did die and uh, i would let him go into more detail but he uh swore that they were charged you know right before and this has happened to other mothman related uh authors and investigators i watched a youtube video um and i will just say who it is it's omar gosh tv on youtube check him out he does a lot of uh paranormal based outings and adventures kind of like the sam and colby guys hey colby cheese hey hey um so he he was down in point pleasant like three months ago doing a a mothman thing he lost four pieces of data four pieces of um important video clips i'd be pissed that just vanished off of his sd card Mm. and you know his his content's all visual and it's really important stuff to retain and he loses like four key pieces and he explains that on the thing hey this is weird and he knows that it that kind of shit's tied in with the the whole mothman experiences so long story short not to go off down that road too much, but I've experienced a lot of problems writing this book. So I'm trying it again, but I'm officially announcing to the world that we are going to be producing a documentary based on the lifetimes and experiences and research thereafter of Susan Mingo Wilcox. The film's going to be called The Minga Effect. We're going to try to take it to uh, film festivals first, hopefully. And then we're going to release on Amazon Video and YouTube. Absolutely 100% free. Watch it, enjoy it, draw your own conclusions. But we're going to tell the story of what was in the envelope. So people are thinking right now, what is he talking about envelope? Well, yeah. read the, go on the internet and Google Susan Mingle Wilcox Mothman Death List or some derivative of that combination and see what you come up with. So you'll see somewhere in the, the entries that Susan Wilcox's experience uh, with the sighting comes up and that was immortalized on the internet in the early 2000s when I spoke to Lauren Coleman about adding her to the list and he done so and I'm grateful but you can see in that listing that there's a mention of an envelope that was given to me by her before her death and the thing is that in the description it describes um, on the front of the envelope and this is a real envelope that I got from my mother Susan it describes uh, very specifically instructions that say do not open until December of 2002. She died in December of 2002, December 8th. Um, I didn't open the envelope until January of 2003 because of all the, you know, we had to, to deal with the funeral and all that stuff. So I didn't get to dig into it until, you know, my mind was clear and we didn't have all the, the nasty business that it comes with funerals, finance and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, so you're going to find out through this documentary 
what was in the envelope. So you have a very important Mothman experiencer, which you will come to find out she was very important um, in the in the Mothman circles. Um, you're going to find out all of the th the things and the wondrous adventure that led up from 2003 all the way to 2018 when we did our case with this young lady here recently. Um, and then it just goes on and on. And it, and, and it probably, and I would say, is still going on and on because it ended in a way that I'm not particularly satisfied with. But this, this documentary is going to bring to light our experiences with this young lady because we, we have archival uh, video of our interviews with her that we're going to display in the film and um, really, really show you what happened with her and the events surrounding her, her location, people around her, and how it ties into my mom's experiences, you know, 17 years earlier, how her case also ties into Point Pleasant, West Virginia, has ties in, um, I can't go that far, I should not go that far. Mm. There's a lot of deepness that, that we unraveled with this case that, that really needs to be told to the world. So I'm going to not only include it in the book I'm going to finish. I swear I'm going to finish it. But <laughs> you'll be able to watch the Minga effect here soon. I'm hoping next year after we get it all filmed um, so you can experience what, what the Minga effect has to offer. Um, there's so much to talk about, and it's deeper than I could ever imagine. And a lot of people think that the Mothman is just, hey, it's a winged creature. The bridge collapsed. People see it every now and again at disaster sites. No. There's much more to it. And it's not just about a cryptozoological figure or some ghastly entity. It, it, it goes much deeper than that. It goes into history. Um, it goes into time. It goes into space. It goes into everything we are as human beings. And... Um, I was able to uncover a lot of that during my years leading up to the investigation of this young lady with you. And um, it's going to be mind-boggling for most people when they when they actually sit down and watch the Mingo Effect. So that's the announcement. I'm excited. We're going to start working on piecing the project together here very shortly. And um, it's going to be... It's going to be quite a ride. So this is the first time I've, well, technically the second time, but this is the first time it aired. Um, this is the first time I'm publicly speaking about not only the case that we did a couple of years ago, but this whole, this whole my mother thing. You know, I've been very quiet about it, and I've had offers from uh, production companies to, to do a story or interview me about about my mom and that experience um, as far away as Japan um, television companies and people from Europe and but this is the first time I've ever been inclined to talk about it and now that we're going to do the project I think it's time you know after this case has wound down I want to get into the nitty-gritty and share my findings with the world and your findings as well with this case and um, you're going to you're going to shoot and direct the film I am and uh, put a nice story together visually and um, yeah so 
very personal story and i'm like thrilled yeah that it's finally yeah coming out we have the story and we we know how we want it to put it but we need to do it carefully and craft yeah. it carefully so that everybody understands what we've discovered and um you know there, there's been a long time between since we started this new um contemporary case a couple of years ago and and when the whole Mothman experience happened with my mother and some of the shit that happened to her before we even get into our case, but some of the shit that happened to her in 2001, 2002 before her death will just make people's heads spin. It's still, my head's still spinning. Yeah. Like a part of that, I, I was there to witness. A lot of it's, um, a lot of it is antidotal um, to where I just got it from her and it's through notes and her verbal tellings of it to me but um a lot some of that stuff i was there to witness Um, well and i do want to add you said i was a baby earlier i was actually well not a baby you're always i was was actually i'm I'm trying to think about how old i actually was i can't do math like i said previously you were you were six when the experience happened i remember she totally changed after that i remember in that house you were in yeah at the time her being there and she ended up actually having to move in i right. think after her diagnosis correct am i crazy or oh no well that that happened well before she did move in before the diagnosis this was on oh shit i can't remember the street name but you'd know what i'm talking about you're talking I, about richfield no this was I can't say the name of the street. It would give up the location. But the apartment. That's where the experience happened. Correct. Okay. Or her experience happened. Yes. So I remember you living in an actual house that she, before or after her diagnosis, she moved in. And, or something she was going to. I don't know. Listen, I don't know. She lived with me after the diagnosis. Yeah. So, okay. She, I remember her, she had this like fat notebook in her lap yeah. and she was just losing her mind trying to explain her experience. Yes. And I remember her drawing. Yeah. She, and if you've seen the Mothman prophecy, have you seen the Mothman prophecies? Unfortunately. It gives me chicken what skin. What in the fuck? You need to watch it because. No, I watched it. Oh, you did watch it? Yes. Okay. I've seen it. So That's sk- why I, I say unfortunately because it. So the sketches that Richard Gere's wife scratches and pins in that little notebook at the beginning of the film look identical to what mom put in her notebook. And guess what? The Mothman Prophecies film was not released at the time. The Mothman Prophecies came out after she had penned those uh, notes and those drawings. I remember her sitting down. She had this book in her lap and... Uh, probably myself and a couple other people were in the room. She was trying to explain this, like kind of right. like lay it out for everybody right. what happened to her. Well, I remember her trying to explain a, a beak or of some sort. Yeah. Um, what the wing, what the wings looked like. I remember her just losing her ever loving mind trying to. She was very invested in trying to explain this very real event to to herself she as my grandmother became a different 
person to me, not even in a bad way. Yeah. But she was she intensified. Her energy just intensified and Yeah, she and so a little backstory, my mom was always into like the supernatural and uh, part of my personal story kind of begins with her back in the in the 80s, but she was also a master astrologer. So she she read read and um, developed natal charts for for clients, and you know she's a very good astrologer, not astronomer, astrologer. So she was uh, doing horoscopes and natal charts and all that stuff. She's very good at what she did and very freaky at times, but mm-hmm. she's also spiritual and you know she liked her crystals and her she had a crystal ball and some of the woo woo stuff that I don't particularly prescribe to as i got a crystal setting right there on the shadow things network desk <laughs> that came with the ghost ball by the way from the Did it? from the vendor do you so know like, what that is it's a cleansing crystal of something so um yeah and i also want to announce our new artifact that we got for the shadow things studio which i'll do in just a moment yeah. but i'm glad i got the crystal <laughs> yeah <laughs> so but anyhow mom was very much so into the esoteric world and you know all things kind of ghostly and uh, astrology but you know prior to that during those years before you know in, in years and months leading up to her mothman type experience in columbus um she wasn't very there wasn't a lot happening at the time i was doing paranormal investigations yep. for i developed a group called columbus paranormal investigations group which later turned into parax research foundation where i met my good friend kurt ehoss who's appeared on couple of episodes of the shadow things podcast what up what up Kurt? check, check him out <laughs> um yeah back in them days i was doing ghost adventures not ghost adventures i was having I was about to say what i was having <laughs> adventures with ghosts without zach Bagans. <laughs> um but so we were into that and mom did go on a lot of investigations with us so we had our ghostly times and stuff but you know the months leading up to that were were kind of a low point for my mother and she wasn't just working hard and kind of just not doing those things anymore and I think I got away from it for a little bit and then she had this experience and she called me the next day after it happened and I went and checked it out that morning and it happened on a weekend so I was able to get up and come right over and check out the room and I had all the equipment and I'm, I'm going through there with meters and you know all this other shit I think I did EVP recordings like my my immediate conclusion was that it was a ghost. Of course. Right? Um, but, you know, there were no findings. There was an unusual reading uh, in one of the closets. It, it was a high AMF uh, baseline. Up, and it just didn't, it didn't repeat, but it was high at one time and it was gone. And one thing I do want to mention is that her experience happened not once but twice. So it happened a couple of days later again where she had the exact same experience. And going back to the visual sighting that she had of this so-called Mothman, um, it was she her room was about 16 feet across in diameter, so about a 16 by 16 square room. And she described it, the wingtips of, of the creature or the being or the entity as spanning the entire length of the ceiling, which would be, if the body's a couple of feet, it would reduce the wingspan to about um, 14 feet or mm-hmm. so. So a pretty big span for 
you know, biological creature to, to be that large. Um, but she described the, the wings to be touching tip to tip all the way from wall to wall. And the reason why she could see it, and I didn't mention this earlier, is because her room had glow-in-the-dark stars on the ceiling. So the previous occupant um, of that of that dwelling had put hundreds of glow-in-the-dark stars on the ceiling of that bedroom. And when you turn the lights off, after you have the lights on for a while, you see a bunch of stars, and it's cool. And I think some people do their rooms like that nowadays, but her room had that effect. Well, the reason why she could see this thing above her between the bed and the ceiling is because of the absence of glowing stars. Mm. So she could see the perfect outline of a creature with a body and large wings hovering above her. All the other stars were present except for the absence of stars where this body's this creature's body was. So and she could also she also had an olfactory experience on the second night where she smelled a like a musty smell, Mm -hmm. like an unusual, uh, like an old smell she described it as. And um, she could also hear something on the second experience where she described it as being, she can't differentiate, she could not differentiate between it breathing or just kind of moving around, like rustling of possibly wings or feathers. Whatever, man, something. Um, But she heard something above her as well as kind of smelled something and seen it. And, she said her, the feeling during the time was uh, just utter terror. Like, I'm, of course, if you right, if you wake up or you know open your eyes in the middle of the night and there's something floating between you and the ceiling, I'm good. I don't care if it's uh, Fred and Barney from the Flintstones. Well, that would be even scarier. But oh my, I don't care if it's a Donald Duck or. Like, I'm good. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm good. Yeah, don't hover between me and the, the ceiling. Don't fuck Don't up be my in my sleep. room. Like Kurt said on a previous episode, the bedroom is kind of a sacred space. Yeah. You do not want to be invaded in your bedroom. She saw a huge bat-winged shaped creature thing, entity, interdimensional being, what have you, above her bed twice. And it started off this whole adventure uh, for the remaining 22 months of her life until she passed away um, and started this case that, that we're working on years later directly ties into her experiences in a mind-boggling way. And we uncovered that. And it's um, going to be an incredible story to tell. But I do want to go back and talk about her death a little bit. So she, I did mention that she died of a pendomoma. So for people to understand, her her death was very... Um, unusual and sudden. Mm-hmm. She was very young. She's fifty-two at the time, fifty-two or fifty-three. Um, too young. Way of course, too young. I'm almost that old. Almost, I'm not quite that old, but <laughs> I'm getting up there. But um, you know, she she went too early, and she died of a pendomoma. So, a pendomoma is a malignant brain tumor that affects um. Normally, children under 10, um, and it affects their, it grows, the tumor grows in, a, in the area of the upper spinal quadrant where there's cerebral fluid um, in pockets. Mm-hmm. The tumor usually grows there in most circumstances, and primarily in children under 10 years old. 
So mom gets one of these ependymomas. And here's the deal. It's in her brain. So ependymomas do occur in adults. So a 52-year-old could get an ependymoma historically. But in almost all cases, adult onset of ependymomas occur within the spine, never in the head. And she had it in the back of her brain. So highly unusual. Her oncologist had told me that um, he was very puzzled about her diagnosis because it was in an area of her brain that for her age it should never have been there, let alone been ependymoma. Mm -hmm. Glioblastoma or some of the other common brain tumors are more associated with um, you know that that age group or but not ependymoma she had, it's a it's a disease that she should have never had at that age and um, she got it 22 months after her experience with the mothman in her bedroom and then that's that's just 22 months after that experience but there's 22 months of experiences that she had while she was still living after the Mothman sighting in her bedroom that we're going to tell in the story. Um, it was all in her notes and just the strangest stuff that really relates to this new term that we're dubbing the Minga effect. Um, just a, just a, a culmination of um, reactionary events that lead up into a total sum and I think a lot of people experience this phenomenon and don't even know it. And it could could end in death. It could not. I know there's a lot of Mothman experiencers that are still alive. And to be honest, I'm not 100% sure my mom even saw the Mothman as it pertains to being a biological creature that was seen in Point Pleasant in the mid-60s. I just, I'm not there with it. I'm also not there that the Mothman seen in Point Pleasant lore was a biological creature as well i'm just not there with it i do see where some scientists and anthropologists blame the mothman sightings on this sandhill crane so -hmm. the sandhill crane is a huge bird that rarely gets into west virginia so they blame the mothman on the sandhill crane which gets into west virginia but rarely during the years of 2017 and 2019, the Sandhill Crane was only sighted 22 times in that state. So tell me how hundreds of sightings occurred during 66 and 67 in Point Pleasant when it's so rare that over two years it was only seen 22 times recently. It's not the Sandhill Crane. No. It's not the Barn Owl or the Great Horned Owl. Um, could some of those have been attributed to some of those creatures? Possibly, but I'm a real believer in the fact that Mothman was just a byproduct of people, of people's Minga effect. I really do believe this. I don't think the Mothman had anything to do with the collapse of the Silver Bridge. There's no evidence that uh, points to mothman actually being sighted around the bridge beforehand there's no photos there is a photo of a mothman on a bridge type of visual but that's not what that is don't kid yourself there's no photos of that the reports of mothman being sighted on the bridge occurred 
after the Silver Bridge collapse and after it was popularized by the John Keel book. So I don't attribute the, the collapse of the bridge or any of these disasters around the world, um, Chernobyl, 9-11, um, other places, uh, to being something that the Mothman did or, or told of. I think that there are areas of the world, including Point Pleasant, that were host to people at the, that had strange events at the right place at the right time under a set, circum, uh, set of circumstances that, that allowed them to experience these things, including the Mothman sightings. Um, but they also tapped into a stream of information that people normally don't tap into. And they have these other experiences like UFOs, Men in Black, um, all this other stuff that that you can read about across the internet. So some of this stuff happened to my mom, Susan, and um, we're going to tell a story. It's a real story based on true events, and um, you know the evidence is there. You can read some of it uh, in the Mothman Death List, but look for the book uh, to come out sometime around the same time, but also definitely look for our documentary film project titled the mingo effect hopefully it comes out in 2023 next year if we can get it all together but we have a great story to tell it's a lot to get together so yeah we're going to be working on it very very um vigorously to try to put something together nice for you um so you can see the story but i think you're going to be you're going to be uh invested yes very hypnotized by the story so i hope you enjoy it so Another announcement we want to uh, just kind of put out there. We are going to be investigating, supposedly, and I can't remember where I heard this, but the fourth most haunted house in the United States. And I think it's on their website, and it's some other places as well. Yeah. But the fourth most haunted house in America, the Whispers Estate in Mitchell, Indiana. Yep. So... Sometime in May, and we have a date. We're just not going to give you the date. She show up and look for my autograph. Whatever. <laughs> <coughs> uh, we're going to uh, be visiting the Whispers Estate and having an overnight stay there and try to figure out, you know, the, is there really a wraith inside inside of this place? Or a rake? Or a... Um, is it called a wraith? It's or a, a rake. rake. It, they're they're d- totally different phenomenon or entities, but... There's people punching the air right now. They... Some experiencers at the Whispers Estate have claimed to encountered a rake in the house itself. So a rake's more of an elemental type entity. So if there's a rake in the Whispers Estate, we're in for a hell of a night. Mm. Um, so we have the full run of the house, and we're going to do um, a live stream of our newly fangled uh, full-spectrum IR camera. So we have a camera that now sees in IR and ultraviolet. We're going to do a live Facebook and YouTube stream of that investigation so some of our viewers can check out and look for documented shit going across the screen that probably shouldn't be there. So they can check out our paranormal cam. We'll dub it during our investigation in May of the Whispers Estate. We may record a little bit for the podcast on that night as well. 
and we're also going to be joined by a documentary filmmaker uh, who's going to um, film the event for us and um, you know get the whole experience professionally filmed on on video so um, yes that's going to be a fun night and we're gonna we're gonna see what we can come up with but we're gonna do the next episode is going to be dedicated to the whispers estate and we'll talk more about the estate the history and some of the paranormal experiences that people have had there inside the building or the house um that lend credence to the title of fourth america's or america's fourth most haunted house Mm -hmm. i think a lot of houses could probably claim that spot that's pretty high up on the list because you're right i have lived in some pretty haunted houses that in my opinion probably top the whispers estate hey you don't know but if you go on youtube and start looking up some whispers of state videos and see some of the shit that happens to these people it's mind-boggling and i do want to say and i don't know if you've seen it or not but the owner of whispers estate um do you know did you did you know there's a seance room up there i did yeah okay so somewhere up around the seance room yeah there's a new closet or a room it's an existing space yeah that they made into a um 360 degree paneled mirror paneled room so it's all mirrors i'm talking about the ceiling the floor the walls so that you can have an experience in it and i can't remember some call that a portal yeah there well there's supposedly a portal upstairs while that runs the entire vertical part of the house uh, mm-hmm. in one part of the house but supposedly there's a portal there but you can have these experiences in this closet room with with all these mirrors i don't remember what they call the room but the servants quarters it's in the servants quarters well i mean like the nickname of the new of room. the new room yeah you, i'm trying it's to... designed so you can go in there and have these experiences using you know scrying or ouija or yeah you can do your sb7 spirit box stuff in there your estes experiments in this room with all these mirrors around you and I hope they still have it while we're there. Um, I can't remember what they called it. But if you go on YouTube, there's a couple of people that 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 actually uh, have the experiences. I know that um, Connor Biddle and his wife, India, I can't remember their YouTube channel, but they experienced that little space for themselves. And Paranormal Encounters. Is that it? I think so. Yeah. And they have they have their moment. You know, there's a big segment done in this mirrored little room that's really cool. Um, so I hope that's there so we can get get some get some happenings going. And you're fully able to do those type of uh not rituals, but um not invocations either. You're just trying to communicate. So I that's encouraged at the property and that's something that we're going to try for the first time. I will say out of 12 years of investigating haunted places, I've never tried to do any of that kind of stuff because that's been taboo and not something. A no-no. Yeah. The whole, the whole paranormal world has been based around do not use Ouija boards. But I think now in contemporary times, you see that a lot more where people are just like, oh, fuck it. We're not getting them on film. Let's just conjure them up. You're not wrong. <laughs> So you see Ouija and stuff a little bit more, but there's a Ouija board on premises. And in that closet. Yeah, we're going to do... One sits in there. Vanessa Spencer here has acquired uh, SB7. SB7T. SB7T with the temperature feature. 
um, with a Bluetooth edition so we can hear it better. Yes. The puck thing. Um, um, you've also never, you, I haven't, I, everybody knows that. You've never done an Estes method. I have never. So. We're going to Estes it up. I have to ask that I be the one. Under the headphones? Under the headphones. Okay. Because I don't want to be that one. <laughs> I have to be the one. Yeah. So we're so. we're gonna we have a whole a whole night planned and it's gonna be so it's gonna be a structured investigation. Yes. We're going to break off into small little groups and there's only like six of us going, so pretty fairly decent size home, um, plenty of levels, and we'll be split off and doing our own little um, experiments and investigation techniques uh, to document. But we'll have the live stream going, we'll do the experiments, and um, it'll be documented by a great filmmaker. Um, so we have that experience to watch afterwards as well. And um, yeah, so we wanted to announce that. The other thing I wanted to say is that I mentioned it earlier, the Shadow Things podcast studio has acquired a piece of paranormal history. So you know what it is because I showed you last weekend. Can I just say that personally, I can't even say it. I, we got to show you and then I can say it. So are we going to show them right now? Or? Well, they're watching. Oh, well, you'd have to get it. But. Oh, okay. Hang on. I'm going to get it. Super cool. Vanessa's going to get it, everybody. In the meantime, if you're watching on our YouTube channel, I'll entertain you with the tick. Watch this. Okay. So I'm going to delete that part from YouTube. <laughs> All right. So Vanessa's coming over here to put the artifact in the view. So what you're looking at is a genuine original I'm just going to say it. Yeah. Bloody Mary mirror. Word. And you've heard the story of Bloody Mary where you look in the mirror and you, I can't remember what you actually do, but you conjure up Bloody Mary's appearance. Yeah. So this mirror, well, let me be more specific. This frame that's right here, minus the mirror that's inside of it. So the frame itself is an original part of the legendary Mud House Mansion in Lancaster, Ohio. So the Mud House Mansion is thought to be the site of the original uh, Bloody Mary location where it was first popularized and born out of. So the whole Bloody Mary experience and mirrors, uh, late night slumber parties with um, teenage girls and popcorn, well, that whole experience was born out of the Mudhouse Mansion uh, in Lancaster, Ohio, according to lore and, you know, urban myth, urban legend. So the Shadow Things podcast studio now has a piece of the building in its studio. So that was a piece that hung over top of a second story bedroom leading out into the hallway. Uh, Mudhouse was built uh, right around the Civil War, uh, a little bit after the Civil War. Um, very old, um, very historical, a lot of ghostly tales centered around Mudhouse Mansion. Um, it is now demolished. It was demolished in September of 2015. So we have a piece of it to live on and hopefully a, now the mirror 
came out of the bloody or the bloody mary house the mirror came out of mud house mansion itself but is not a part of the original frame so that was set into the mirror by the uh the artifact salvager that was hired to get some things out of the house when it, after it was demolished so um that was a piece that i acquired from the uh salvager so recently it has a certificate of authenticity and i actually pulled up a photo on the internet of the actual piece that we have while it was still hanging in the mudhouse mansion so now we have a piece of history in the studio and i'm very thankful to have it i'm pretty proud of that now when you surprised me with that i was i expected mudhouse oh but not to that degree yeah not like the actual not a piece of it like a whole a whole piece of the house is in this room right now so it's like it's akin to the banister of the um the staircase in the amityville being in this house it's kind of like that this is a piece of the building for legal purposes um i will say that don't incriminate yourself hypothetically (sighs) say a friend of mine we'll call her Brittany. say Brittany went into the house Right. Snuck on the property because it was always like there was right. always a tale, you know. You'll get shot at if you walk on the property. Right. Kids that like to spook around at night. Let's say Brittany was one of those kids. Spears? No. Okay. Walked in to the house and as abandoned as abandoned could get. Right. Holes in the floor. Probably walked under this piece. Oh, there's no doubt. If, if if a person went into this abandoned mansion before 2015 and they went in the entire place, they would have walked under that door at some time. Let's just say hypothetically it was you. And if you did that, you would, have, you would have been under that very piece right there back in the day. And that is so bizarre to me. That's cool. Because I was genuinely upset when yeah. they tore her down. Yeah. Mudhouse Mansion, Lancaster, Ohio. Uh, look it up. Look it up. You can see how very creepy it, it, it is. I mean, it looks like your stereotypical haunted house that you would see in your in your nightmares. Like, On a hill. Yeah. Like, with bats coming out. Like, that's exactly. what with, you picture. With a pumpkin in the window and a witch yeah. flying over it. I mean, 100%. it's very stereotypical looking. I think it's a Georgian or Victorian, Victorian. Victorian era um, architecture. But... Very creepy. It was tore down. We got a piece of it in the Shadow Things podcast studio to remind us of it. Maybe it comes with a spirit. I hope not. Let's hope not. So hopefully that's not an actual Bloody Mary mirror. Uh, Would be sick. It's been in the house for a week now, and I have not had anything goofy going on. So um, Not yet. No experiences. <laughs> no experiences. But um, yeah. We got a piece of it. I'm going to hang it up here in the studio and see what we can conjure. I mean, uh, see, see if how we can enjoy it. Something. Not conjure shit up. So, yes, yeah, so the next episode we're going to discuss uh, the Whispers Estate uh, history and experiences of other people and kind of lead up into our investigation in May. And um, with that, we're going to leave it here. Um, the Mothman topic, very near and dear to me. Um we described a little bit about half what happened to my mother and you know the project that we're going to be doing here very shortly with the film documentary i think everybody's going to enjoy it and um you know if you have any questions or comments and you want to talk to us uh send us a an email 
at talk at shadowthings.net. That's talk at shadowthings.net. You can also find us on the web at shadowthings.net. Find us on YouTube and all your other favorite podcast distribution points like Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts. Wherever. Thanks for joining us on this special episode of the Shadow Things Podcast. Join us in 1.5 weeks for our next show. Until then, you can send us an email at talk at shadowthings.net or visit us on the web at shadowthings.net proper. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Also, find our podcast at your favorite podcast distribution points such as Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and more. Thanks again for listening, and as a reminder, stay in the light and out of the shadows.